and I wonder if this is a male female thing. <laughs> I think if you put me back in in a, if you put me into a, a hen party situation or um I was back at school and because it was an all girls school back at school writing on the toilet walls I would definitely see this as a vulgar I was about um, to say Keith you must have a cleaner mind than I do because I totally <laughs> <laughs> Well hello Patricia here Welcome to the Haiku P podcast series 5 Episode 16. Now, you might have expected this episode to be titled Vulgar Haiku. But if you go back and listen to Keith Evert's workshop, you'll hear towards the end that Keith talks about proceeding with care on some topics. And we had some haiku in Senryu that fell into that category. So I took the decision to include them because I felt the verses had merit. Now, you may disagree with my decision, and if you do, I know you'll let me know. So anyway, these haiku and senryu gave me pause for thought. It would be to the detriment of some of these haiku to label them vulgar, or even commonplace. Hence, the new title. The vulgar, the commonplace, and the taboo. So before I start the podcast, I just want to warn you again that there might be reasons you don't want to continue listening bad language, for example, and some topics that are very moving and maybe even controversial, which are becoming more and more taboo as poets' voices are censored. Thank you to my editing team, who read the submissions this time. Vendana Parashar, Lorraine Padden, Robert Horobin, Liam Maguire and Ron Craig. We have two more podcasters on the pod today, Melanie Alberts and Alison Whipple. Details of their podcasts in the show notes. They'll be joining us as community judges, as will the lovely Keith Everts, who gave us a memorable workshop on the subject. And he might have a thing or two to say about my choices as well. This was a surprising topic. We had fewer submissions than usual, which doesn't surprise me. And many of you who submitted said how surprised you were that you'd found yourself able to write to this topic. And you know what? I found a greater number of haiku and senryu than usual to put on my potential touchstone nominations list. So all in all, a successful topic. And you still have time to get on my nominations list. The next reading period, 1st to the 15th of September, is for deep haiku and senryu. Joshua Gage gave us a fab workshop for that, looking at the vertical and the horizontal axes in our haiku. And of course, there's a link in the show notes. I have really high hopes that he will have inspired you to push your boundaries, much like you did with this topic. Now, as usual, I have some poems from our video prompt to read to you. As you know, Linda Ludwig reads all of the haiku and senryu written on the prompt and chooses her favourites. And you can submit to the video prompt on YouTube by adding your poem to the comments. It's really popular and competition is stiff. Keep them coming. And before we get going, I have a little announcement to make. Congratulations to our very own Ronald K. Craig, member of the P editing team. 
one of his haiku received first place in the 10th annual Peggy Willis Lyles Haiku Awards, 2022. That's from the Heron's Nest. Tricycle Bell Headlong into summer Tricycle Bell Headlong into summer Ronald K. Craig A joyous piece, Ron. Well done. So let's have some original haiku and senryu from you, and we'll start with Linda's picks for July. Thank you to all the poets who sent us a submission, and congratulations to all those who've been singled out. Your work will be in the Poetry Bee Journal. And of course, many thanks to Robert Horobin for the video prompt video. And let's not forget a massive thank you to Linda for all the work she does reading the submissions. Thank you, Linda. Golden moments. Laburnum blossom shimmies in the breeze. Karen Harvey. Wide blue sky. The war's forgotten in a yellow flower. Keith Everts. And Keith's entry this time really falls into the category that we're looking at with Joshua Gage in September. Can you see the horizontal and the vertical axes in that? Young Leaves. The Fluttering of Bird Songs. Ron Degler. Autumn Ginkgo. A Change of Colour in Your Song. Chitaluri, Satyanarayana. Spreading the word, Apostle Birds. Susan Birch. And now it's off to the vulgar, the commonplace and the taboo, with the first of our nominations for the judge's choice. This time from Melanie Alberts. As I said in my introduction, we have three podcasters on the pod today, if you include me. So let me introduce you to the second of our podcasters, Melanie Alberts. Melanie, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you, Patricia. I'm so happy to be here. We're happy to have you. Now, Melanie is a haiku poet and she hails from Texas, I believe. I do. I live in Austin, Texas. It's the capital of the state. But your podcast, Melanie, isn't about haiku. Tell us, what do you podcast about and where can we find it? Well, I am a developing medium and psychic artist. And the podcast I created during lockdown is called the Psychic Playdate Podcast. And in it, I invite friends to talk about what they love to do psychically or mediumship-wise. And we do a little demonstration usually. Uh, Sometimes we talk about books. I I know people who have written some beautiful books on the subject. And it's just a fairly brief, lighthearted look at something which I think a lot of podcasters tend to put kind of a dramatic or scary paranormal feel to the subject. And I wanted to bring a bit of lightness and, and levity and humor and um, just sort of the feeling that we're all capable of being psychic. We're, we all have 
gut instincts and intuition. And this is just a celebration of that. I recorded on Anchor, so you can find it on Spotify and several other platforms. There will, of course, be a link in the show notes. But now Melanie is going to tell us which haiku or senryu she chose and why. Terrific. Thank you. And I am so pleased to be on this judging panel. In fact, the day I heard about the judging panel was the first day I discovered your podcast, Patricia. I had just done a binge listening session. And I recall you saying, please consider being a judge. And I thought, oh, that might be kind of fun. And then a couple hours later, Allison Whipple sends an email out to the Austin Haiku Group that you're looking for a judge for the vulgar competition. I thought, this is my nudge, (laughs) synchronicity and work. Mm -hmm. I will put my hand up. And so I chose a a senru by David Cox, and it is hanging out with friends, donkey sanctuary. Hanging out with friends, donkey sanctuary. This poem is pure innuendo. What I find delightful is how the poet evokes so much while leaving me the space in my own mind to make a connection, to see the joke. The poet offers no vulgar words, or is there one? The poem begins with hanging out, a reference to getting together with others in a loose, casual way. People hang out. A herd of animals might also hang out together. Hanging out implies letting go being natural, loose, enjoying an easy peasy time with no agenda. At first, hanging out with friends feels cliche. Typically, I'd be uptight about that until I sensed where Cox was heading. That M dash after friends thrusts forward, inviting the reader to picture a donkey sanctuary. All bets are off that this scene is about altruistic pals gathering to save unwanted animals. It's a sausage fest double entendre. I'm glad that the poet chose the location as a sanctuary instead of say a field of donkeys or a drove of donkeys as a group of them are officially called. He could have been completely obvious and ho-hum by ditching the donkeys and serving us with a nude beach, hanging out with friends, nude beach. Um, No. Sanctuaries imply restful environments where these lovable long ears can let it all hang out. Cox's choice of sanctuary ensures that the reader imagines a sole expanse of donkey junk. These animals, also known as asses, beasts represented for centuries throughout world literature as steady simpletons, are stubborn as stains and low as dirt, the classic mascot of the vulgar realms. Thanks, Melanie. Who, who knew that um, it was a drove of donkeys? I love donkeys, but I didn't know that. It's a wonderful word, isn't it? Drove. They Ab- are a drove. Absolutely. Beasts of burden. Definitely beasts of burden, as you say. They are a classic mascot for vulgar realms, aren't they? Yes, but they're also elevated, such as the in the biblical sense of Jesus riding into, uh, was it Nazareth, on a donkey. Uh, so this lowly animal carrying the king, you know, it was the juxtaposition there. It's just, it's just perfect. Thanks, Melanie. Thank you very much for that uh, nomination. <laughs> 
my gold chain swinging to and fro on his chest. Amrutha Prabhu Classic timepiece, watching her movements from behind. Richard L. Matter Pea puddle, even the sun in it different. Samo Kreutz In and out, in and out, finally, thread enters needle. Nira Kashap Summer heat, she blames her hot flushes on climate change. Laurie Kiefer Cupping plums, a mental note to self-examine. Tony Williams Poolside, envying the water dripping from her skin. Nick Hoffman Mountain hike, the sound of my pee measures a birdsong. Mira Rame. Dancing in a leotard, the shifting contours of my butt. Jackie Chow. As you so often do, Jackie, you've made me laugh. Diving for pearls, surprised by a fanny fart. Kim Russell. Posh school. The things I learned from toilet walls. Marion Clark. Strawberry moon. Crimson blossoms on her skirt. Dorothy Burrows. Ordinary sex. The tantric manual gone missing. Barry Levine Summer outhouse Too many flies Crap Bonnie J. Shearer Now let me take a moment to say thank you to my coffee donors. I'm still saving up to pay for an intern and as I record this podcast I'm 28% of the way along the journey. I really could do with some help on the admin and recording side of things, so I'm really grateful to everyone who gives the podcast a donation, whether through the coffee button or PayPal. So I'd like you to imagine a path of rose petals leading to my door, and my treasured donors are nipping round to have coffee. I'm currently making coffee for Jason Furtak, Colette Kern, Ron Craig, Linda Ludwig, Kimberly Kucher, Gabrielle Tolliver, Ken Slaughter, David Oates, David Eyre, Susan Andrews, Daniela Miso, Mark Brimble, Tony Williams, Timothy Kremen, and a few anonymous donors too. There's a cup for everyone. Thank you so much. I hope you can smell the coffee brewing with an underlying scent of rose petals. And so back to the great work you've been creating. 
Amuse Bouche, she parts her lips for me. Joshua St. Clair. Cold Tongue. She's not faking this one. Timothy Kremen. Scarecrow. A corncob sticks out below the belt. James Crotsman. Shitting into the woods. A porcino. Daniela Miso. Bright morning. Ripe apricot on the tongue. B.L. Bruce. Razor smooth lips. Glazing my tongue. Morning mist. Joshua Gage. Desire, down, down the path, until the leaves flutter. Colette Kern. Lemon summer, scraping out the zest. Smear test. CX Turner. I think there's a lot of us that will relate to that one. Thank you. Good morning. My dick, an exclamation mark. Mark Brimble. Light rain. I pee my part. David Kawika Air. Roadside bonding. Father and son pissing into the field. Kim Clue. Uncovering all the meanings of tantric, the hard way. Herb Tate. Summer drought. Deciding to toss shriveled plums. Marielle Herbert. G marks the spot. Armed with a map, he still misses the turning. Tracy Davidson. Bus ride, the smell of onions in his belch. Minal Sarosh. Thanks for the ride, lady. Richard Bailey. So now, let's hear which poem Alison has nominated for her judge's choice. Now, you all know Alison. She's been on the podcast a couple of times now, and you'll all remember she presented a workshop on punctuation for us. If you haven't heard it or read the show notes, do go and check it out. It's a cracker. Because together, Alison and I are going to be responsible for a plethora of punctuated poems in the haiku world this year. Welcome back, Alison. Thank you. I'm glad to be back. This was uh, such a fun topic. It, it was, wasn't it? It took me quite by surprise, I have to say. Now, Alison is our third podcaster this week. Alison, tell us what you're up to, because it is haiku related, isn't it? It is. Uh, so I have a blog and podcast project called The Culinary Saijiki that uh, explores uh, food as seasonal words in haiku. Uh, and the blog features more of a uh, Saijiki style commentary and essays on different types of food in relation to the season 
And uh, right now I'm working on a post um, related to uh, geographical regions and, and specific uh, seasonal foods related to North American geography. And uh, on the podcast, I invite uh, haiku friends uh, from uh, anywhere uh, to come talk to me about their food-related haiku and uh, their process. Where are we going to find this podcast, Alison? The website is uh, culinarysaijiki.com, so I post there. Um, it's on Anchor, Spotify, Amazon, Google. Still working on that Apple podcast uh, <sighs> listing, but that's the, that's the hard one to crack. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, I know, I know, I feel your pain. <laughs> Thankfully, I've done that one. That's okay. Um, great. And I think you're going to come on next year and talk to us about that as well, aren't you, Alison? I am. I'm going to synthesize uh, the uh, research and writing I've been doing into a uh, workshop about incorporating food into haiku. Excellent. Looking forward to it already. So tell us, who did you choose? Which poem did you choose and why? All right. I, as you know, Patricia, I was down to the wire. I had <laughs> the hardest time picking. These were all fantastic. Um, and what I actually came back to was the first one on my uh, maybe list, which rarely the first one is the one that gets picked. But this, this haiku just kept making me giggle every time. Uh, it's Ann Smith's haiku, superstition, touching wood to get lucky. Superstition, touching wood to get lucky. So on a superficial level, this poem isn't inherently vulgar. It refers to a superstition common across many European cultures of knocking on a piece of wood to ward off bad luck. Ostensibly, the superstition comes from the ancient belief that benevolent spirits lived in trees and that touching or knocking on the trunk would invoke their blessings. However, the superstition is so old and has so many variations, the original myth is not entirely clear. Uh, contemporary applications of the superstition tend to focus on avoiding or preventing bad luck rather than invoking good luck. Anne Smith's use of innuendo and double meaning takes the poem beyond the superficial and adds vulgarity in a humorous way. The second and third lines both rely on vulgar slang. Wood is synonymous with an erect penis and getting lucky is slang for sexual intercourse. These last two lines of the poem render explicit the act of foreplay, seductively touching an aroused partner as the couple moves toward climax. The true humor of this haiku is that on the surface, it appears innocent, but assuming they are aware of uh, English slang, readers know perfectly well that this is actually a vulgar poem. While Anne relies on euphemistic rather than explicit language, I appreciate that she's not coy. By relying on cultural knowledge of superstition, the word choice doesn't have to be explicit to get the point across. Anne's combination of cultural norms with crude euphemism manages to create a haiku that is both vulgar and humorous. Alison, thank you very much for that choice. An excellent choice there, Anne Smith's poem. And something in common with Melanie's choice too, that they both are vulgar and humorous. I think for me, that was all of the ones that made it on my finalist um, list all made me laugh in one way or another. Thanks, Alison. Let's open the next section with a poem that I think can fairly honestly be called vulgar. Dinner party. Best china and best manners. The dog licks his balls. Rob McKinnon. 
Spiking the strawberry punch. Tampon insertion. Adele Evershed. Serpent seed all over your tongue. Tiffany Shaw Diaz. Summer heat hopping on her coverts. His casual finger. Anna Yin. Inexperienced toy boy. She makes do with a taste of vanilla. Paul Callas. The hummingbird tongue of her first kiss. Mimi Ahern. Cattail points to the sky. Cleaning the litter box. Tyler McIntosh. Summer grasses. My first exclamation mark. P.H. Fisher. An obscene senryu destined to become my fucking death poem. Mark Forrester. Headache again. Viewing the moon with the dog. Nina Singh. Orgasm. The hooker comes again. Susan Birch. Low rent motel. Lone man comes in. That'll be two, right? David Oates. Sunrise dilemma. Enjoying the morning glory. Or pick the sweet pea. John Holder. Gender complex. Half-broken mannequin on the table. Lakshmi Iyer. Summer heat. Two dogs yin-yang on the riverbank. Norman Silver. Sagging scrotum. Serves that scoundrel right. Ronald K. Craig. The horse in need of a good scrub. Poop stains. Christina Chin. Daily flatulence. The orchestra plays ass compositions. Gabriel Tolliver. Forget-me-not. The weekend perfume of her panties. Mercia Moldovan. Exam fright. Stern Mrs. Prim poos just like me. Christina Pavero. Rowing on the lake, aroused by the rhythm of the rollocks. Annie Wilson. First draft. Antigonus exits with a bear behind. Karen Morris. Failing to notice their feet boobies. Lorraine A. Padden. Now, as I said to you, Keith joined me for this podcast. So let's first hear his nominations for the judge's choice. And then he stayed on to have a little chat about some of the haiku and senryu which stood out for him but didn't quite make it to the judge's choice list. 
If you'd like to be on the panel of judges, do please get in touch and let me know. I'm always in need of discerning haiku folks. So let's hear from Keith. Not to be outdone, we have another star returning to the podcast, Keith Everts. You'll all know he presented the Vulgarity Workshop, but he's also the editor of Revirals for the Haiku Foundation. Hello again, Keith. Hello, Patricia. How nice to be here. <laughs> Good to have you back. Um, I know you put an awful lot of work into the uh, presentation, and I'm very happy to say that you're going to stay on after the recording and tell us a little bit more about some of the poems that didn't quite make the nominations, but you felt merited a mention. So thank you for doing that too. You've been a little bit naughty and I've let you get away with it <laughs> this once because there is a precedent. You, I think, have chosen two poems to nominate. Among several really appealing entries, I singled out these two that in some ways make a good pair. And they are frogs in a frenzy, teachers file quietly by the old pond by Richard Tice. Frogs in a frenzy, teachers file quietly by the old pond. And the other one, nature walk, a blue jay tells me to piss off Kenneth Slaughter. Nature walk, a blue jay tells me to piss off. Now, don't we just love to extol nature and our links with it? And here we have two fine, seldom seen examples of the fact that our relations with nature are often complicated and uneasy, and that we're not always a welcome part of it. And we ourselves may find biological truths uncomfortable. So with the alliterative frogs in a frenzy, the F word is strongly suggested. We know what the frogs are up to. A reader might think humans passing by simply don't want to disturb mating frogs. Yet these are not just any people, but teachers. Instruction is implied. Are pupils being taught to tiptoe around the frogs out of respect for their courtship? I don't think so. Uh, I don't think that's what's going on at all. Uh, here, we're away from the carefully prepared sex education in biology lessons and the arm's length purity of diagrams on a whiteboard. We're away from transference to frogs of our own romantic conceits about love. The frogs are in a frenzy of lust, too absorbed to care about the humans, and the teachers pass quietly by without mentioning it, perhaps averting eyes, embarrassed by the reality. In the other haiku, the Blue Jay's alarm call at the sight of the poet is more direct. The Jay doesn't want the presence, let alone the attention, of the nature-loving poet. Although the phrase piss off may not be in a Blue Jay's personal vocabulary, it's well chosen to underscore the bird's annoyance, alarm, and implied contempt at this intrusion. Basho argued for the use of the vernacular in haiku, and that a properly used crude word would, in a haiku, be, quote, corrected, unquote, by the context. Piss off is just right. The verse would be diminished 
either if bowdlerized, to go away, or by escalating it to the F word, fuck off. I'll just read those two variants. Nature walk, a blue jay tells me to go away. Or nature walk, a blue jay tells me to fuck off. And I think either of those extremes loses the essential, well-chosen, and not too offensive crudity of a blue jay tells me to piss off. The call was for the submission of vulgar haiku. This one has clarity, punch, and exemplary use of a single essential vulgar expression. Indeed so. And I think when we were discussing this, Keith, I said I hadn't done any research into whether the Blue Jay actually can mimic sounds and speech. But you did, didn't you? you, you yes, they don't, you know, they don't mimic to the extent of picking up, as my parrot would, given half a chance, uh, piss off. Um, what, what they do do uh, is they gather around generally in, in groups and they have a very loud mocking call if there's an intruder. So I think, you know, piss off, you, you could say it, it's a sort of personalization, but it isn't really. It's, it's a very well chosen expression that I think is just right. That's great. Thank you very much. Well, that's almost all for today. But some of you will have noticed we haven't read all the poems submitted. Keith stayed on after the judging to read a few more that didn't quite make the cut for the judge's choice, but he felt merited a comment or two. So, Keith, tell us, what are your thoughts? Well, um, I know that uh, we didn't have quite as many submissions as normal, but I thought the quality was actually rather good. And I was very happy to see a wide variety. Uh, I think the poets did jolly well. And I'd like to pick out a few illustrated points from those in the podcast and these are perhaps by way of special mentions, because they are all uh, poems of some merit, I think. Uh, first of all, the majority of poems submitted, or at least selected, dealt with sex. Um, and this is a well-known preoccupation. Uh, some had delightful, erotic, sensual, or elusive overtones without being explicit, such as holding the promise of delicious plump fruit apple catchers by Paul Chapman. Holding the promise of delicious plump fruit apple catchers. This seems to have drawn inspiration from the same well as Michael McClintock's ripe tomato that we had in the workshop. Then we have uh, a lovely one by Petro C.K. Spring flower dress around the cherry tree's ankles. Spring flower dress around the cherry tree's ankles. Now, this is just when you thought you'd read them all about cherry blossoms. Here's this delightful virginal submission on the deflowering of the spring cherry tree. I thought that was wonderful. And then we have at midnight, you visit my garden. Blushing Rose by Kimberly Kukar, which I thought was, again, very um, lovely and uh, erotic, but not at all explicit. Others used a touch of the explicit. 
but also with some wider context to add layers to dwell upon and were distinctly erotic too. For example, Adam's apple, a lump in the throat as she covers her breasts by Robert Whitmer. Adam's apple, a lump in the throat as she covers her breasts. And this neatly alludes to the fall of man and we've all fallen, uh, but with delightful tender overtones of masculine awe and desire, that well-known ache and feminine shyness. So I thought that poem encapsulated quite a lot. And then uh, a verse of a, a different kind, after her orgasm, silver dust floating in sunlight by Mark Gilbert, after her orgasm, silver dust floating in sunlight. This is a gorgeous verse, that still moment of afterglow, when with heightened arousal, one sees small things clearly. This can be viewed from the perspective of the female who's just come, or her partner, the poet. And I immediately thought of differences between intercourse for lust and intercourse for love. Here, her partner delights in having given her the ecstasy of orgasm, tender and loving. And this poem changed my view that once a formal explicit term such as orgasm is used in a verse, then the subtlety is lost. But here it isn't. It's an example of what Shiki wrote about combining the raw fact with beauty to heighten contrast and render both beautiful. Yet as I read through these poems, I, I was constantly asking, is this in fact vulgarity in the sense of the common or crude vernacular or the unmentionable? I mean, these are delightful, rather lyrical, poetic poems, but are they vulgar? Um, and, and I leave that uh, to you to discuss and decide. Uh, many used humour to soften a vulgar word or deed and they were an enjoyable read, but without further art or insight, yet you know, laughter by itself is a gift. There were also some delightful senryu that caught the human condition in a classic warm humoured way and went beyond the immediate context. Wine tastings, a search for an adjective that isn't nappies by Jenny Shepherd. Wine tasting, a search for an adjective that isn't nappies. Uh, I should perhaps explain to American readers that nappies is uh, British English for diapers. Um, this one appealed to me as, as a former diplomat, you know, all, always looking uh, for um, a suitable euphemism uh, in conversation. And, and once I was the only amateur of 60 judges at an international wine challenge, uh, the story there is, is it was a mistake. Uh, the challenge organizers telephoned the embassy in Lisbon and to uh, ask if diplomatic representatives could attend the opening ceremony at this two-day wine challenge. And the receptionist, bless her, said, oh, Mr. Evitz, he, he's a, and then she used a Portuguese word, a very um, formal one, inologo, which means, you know, a, a winologist, which is actually a very formal qualification in, uh, in Portugal for a wine master, which I'm not. And the organizers then said, oh, really? Uh, because we're actually a judge short 
And I wonder if you could persuade him to fill the gap. Well, bless her, she said, um, oh, I'm sure I could. <laughs> and, uh, and so I duly went along and I spent two days as the only amateur there. It was very interesting. Uh, we were split into 10 tables of six and the wines kept coming round. Um, believe you me, if you taste and rinse all these wines over two days, your palate gets a bit blasted. So if you sometimes doubt the judgment of wine critics, that's possibly a reason. But what really amused me was, and this is where the nappies comes in, they started with the worst wines, of course. And uh, my colleagues, all of whom were professionals, would join me in criticizing these wines, but would they mark them with a failing mark? No. They wouldn't. Um, so I, I expostulated with them and, and persuaded them to do so, which I was rather proud of, because frankly, some of the wines should never have been on the market and certainly shouldn't have been recommended by this august body. Anyway, so the search for an adjective that isn't nappies very much appealed to me. Uh, well done, Jenny. Moving on, we have another one that I liked uh, rather a lot checking out each other's spouses. Friends Reunion by Mona Bedi, checking out each other's spouses, Friends Reunion. The contrast between you know, checking out and friends is quite striking. Uh, and it's questionable whether this is a vulgar haiku, although it does use the vernacular checking out. Um, but it's fascinating, of course, to see who one's old chums ended up with. And we can't help evaluating and comparing them and imagining what the couples might be like in bed, sometimes a ghastly prospect. And then a couple of extremely good ones, which I've already discussed in the judging, set humans in the reality of nature with several layers of reverberation, I thought. Kenneth Slaughter's rudely dismissive Blue Jay and Richard Tice's Frogs in a Frenzy. It's a theme I've also tried to explore in the past, but editors have been unresponsive. They seem to prefer the lyrical or the positive celebration of nature to the reality. But I am a biologist and prefer the reality. And then a few poets tackled delicate issues with delicacy. For example, early morning dew, half awake, she pleasures herself. Amanda White, early morning dew, half awake, she pleasures herself. The moistness of early morning dew is a nice suggestion of lubrication and desire, I thought. And some tackled difficult issues with delicacy, such as Tony Williams' self-examination for testicular cancer, or Laurie Kiefer's hot flushes, or Eve Castle's freshly cut rose and self-harm. Freshly cut rose. She uses the same scissors along her scarred thigh. Eve Castle. This is a very well composed haiku and deals with a sensitive subject in the red zone with sufficient delicacy and in a matter of fact way and without being judgmental. The choice of rose, with the suggestion of bloodied beauty, petals and thorns, 
preceded by freshly cut, is an excellent fragment, three plain incisive words carrying a weight of association and meaning. The bridge of the scissors from the beauties of cut flowers to the horrors of self-harm is also well handled without being overly obtrusive or dramatic. The quality and detail in this verse suggests that its author is not appropriating the subject for literary tourism or as a voyeurs, but has observed the horrendous subject of self-harm. This must surely be one of Patricia's potential touchstone nominations. With the author's permission, I'd like to wrap up with a true haiku that was published in the Haiku Foundation's Haiku Dialogue not long after our workshop on vulgarity, but wasn't part of these submissions. Now, for me, it's a wonderful example that I would certainly have used to crown the workshop if it had been out by then. Deep in the trembling morning glory, a bee butt, Chris Moon Conto. Deep in the trembling morning glory, a bee butt. Look how Chris has made an acute observation of nature and we can all picture the trumpet flower of a morning glory, a season word, shaking with the weight of a busy bumblebee. But flowers and bees also allude to sex and the word but is a further hint. So we have another layer and Chris has sensitively captured penetration with deep in and quivering pre-orgasmic desire with trembling. And then there is the morning glory, glory indeed, and also in common usage, morning glory may refer to an erection. Now up to and including that word, the phrase is lyrical without breaking the imagist austerity of the best haiku. It is the combination of elements that makes it poetic and sensual, not flighty similes and still less explicit sexual words, but the careful selection and arrangement of ordinary words. And then the bee's butt, that single word at the end abruptly juxtaposes the lyrical with vulgar reality and makes us reevaluate the description as a sexual act. If she had written deep in the trembling morning glory a bee, it would just not be the same. And the poet has conveyed all this without being offensive or explicit with beauty, with gentle humor, and with a light touch. Moreover, it is very musical. Deep in the trembling morning glory is pleasing poetry to sound out in trochaic meter, rhythmic and repetitive, followed by the percussive bee butt. We don't need an ejaculation mark to come to conclusion. Basher would approve. The vulgar word is corrected in the haiku, perfectly chosen and placed. And Shiki would approve, refined beauty has been put together with coarse language, which elevates both by the contrast. I'd say that was an exemplary haiku. And just before we finish, one last haiku. From flower to flower, the fucking blameless bees by Keith Evans. I love this one. Thank you very much for reading it to us. So that's it for today. Thank you once again to everyone involved here at the P. 
all the editing team, the judges, and everyone who submits and listens. Do go and have a read of the work. You'll find it in the show notes at Poetry P. And don't forget to let me know what you thought of today's podcast. It was a little bit special, wasn't it? And I'd really like to get your feedback. Thanks once again to everyone who sends me coffee money. That intern will get employed with your help. Don't forget the next reading period, 1st to the 15th of September, for all your deep haiku and senryu. Tell your friends, let them know we'll be reading. So until we meet again, keep writing. If I've managed to mess up, left something out, or left you with questions you'd like answered, just email me. Ciao.